Welcome to the Lift Oneself podcast, Nate. I'm so thankful you're here with me. Hello. Let's take a breath together. Okay. Breathe in through your nose and slowly release. How's your heart doing? It's fast right now. I've been building up a little bit towards speaking because I think I've now become comfortable with using my voice um, and getting it recorded is another level, but it's something that I definitely feel open to now that I feel like I can trust myself more. What can you thank COVID for? The pause and um, I feel like in society, it's always go, go, go. And it really shook things up to show people that it's possible to do things differently. Of course, there's the, the di- different aspects which, pe- which people aren't happy about, of course, and it's very sad. However, um, it's opened up possibilities, whereas before people thought, or even the government, everyone thought that these things that happened were impossible. So I think it gave me a sense of hope in that way, whereas in a lot of people's eyes, it made it hopeless. You mentioned using your voice and wanting to speak on a certain topic, which is medication. Can you share with the listeners what your experience has been with that? Yeah, for sure. Um, I first want to talk about the beginning of how I came to start antidepressants and what that looked like for me and why I decided to do that. I guess, like I said, like when I started off, I've had a hard time using my own inner voice and trusting myself. And I think that comes from a background of not fully being able to express myself and understand myself as a child. Um, I come from a background, my both my parents are immigrants and they kind of have that survival mindset, which I think sort of ingrained that in me, whereas I didn't necessarily need that same level of survival. Um, but it, it definitely made me an overachiever as a kid. And I pushed myself so hard to the point of um, exhaustion. I, I killed it. I did amazing in high school. And after high school, I always worried that I'd be one of those kids that peaked in high school, as people say. <laughs> um, but I now know that's not true because I didn't even know myself back then and I was able to achieve all those things. So now that I know myself more, I'm super excited to see um, what that holds for me. But what that did lead me to in the past was exhaustion and, and not being connected with my body to a point of desperation. And I didn't know really how to ex- talk about it. I, I knew that therapy existed. Um, 
I was very close with my family doctor. I had the same family doctor since I was a kid. And he was sort of one of those people that I opened up to about everything, which is great that I had someone to talk to, like that outlet. However, I think it was a little dangerous because it also kind of, it, this is the person who is prescribing me this medication and for him, uh, for them to have that uh, perspective on all the aspects of my life. It, now I look back, I'm thinking it maybe helped give, helped him decide on what sort of level of medication I would go on. And I think that's dangerous because I basically shared all my internal issues with someone whose profession isn't based off of trying to deal with those issues. It's more so treating the symptoms. And I was going into a deep level of depression and anxiety. And sorry, I just needed to take a breath. Take a moment. I had a lot of support and people to turn to. But when you feel like you can't turn to yourself, it does really make you feel alone. So I think that was my main deciding factor in going on to antidepressants. I didn't really have a great understanding on them when I did decide to. And I, I started off at a pretty high dosage of 350 milligrams of a pill that he, I did get the understanding that it was one of them that was hard to come off of, but it was used to treat major depressive disorder and labeling myself with that before really understanding what all of that meant was a little harsh. Um, and I'm already pretty harsh with myself. My inner critic is loud. But um, it has been a journey. It's been about five years since I've started the antidepressants. Um, I think the main thing that it taught me in, in connecting with my habits and would be consistency, something you have to take every day. Most effective when you take it at the same time every day. And I struggled with that heavily when I first started, which is probably the worst time because it was when I was on the most on the highest dose. <laughs> so you can imagine the ups and downs when I was already having mood swings as it is today I'm at 112.5 currently cutting down like in the two-week process of going down to 75 by 2022 the process of cutting down has been happening for three years now because it's it's all about listening to your body 
And with going on them, I, like I said, I was very disconnected from my body. Uh, so having to do that, I, it took me quite a while. And there were times when I was wrong, when I thought I was ready, but I, I wasn't. So I, I had to accept that and, and, and go back on that regular dose that I was on. So for the most part, I was right about it, which I felt the point in the week when I would stop taking, when I would cut down and uh, the peak of what I mean by peak is the point where I would feel the symptoms the most, because when you make a change in your dose, the symptoms are, um, they are, sorry, I'm thinking of a word. Um, ignited, uh, that's not the word, but it works. <laughs> and so when the symptoms are high, I start to doubt myself and think that it was the wrong choice. Um, but I know the, the long-term goal <clears throat> is to come off of them. Uh, not that they're not okay. I have made the personal choice for myself that it's something that I no longer need as I've come to understand myself more. The way I've had an understanding of the pills that was actually an analogy my doctor gave me was imagine an overflowing sink and um, the pills sort of act as towels around the rim to keep it from overflowing. And I've had those towels on for a, a long time. And I think it's when you have, when you're not able to drain the water yourself, that's when the overflowing happens. And it's, it's very overwhelming. It's emotions that have been, uh, I want to say repressed or kept in for a long time, never really dealt with. Um, yeah, I, I think I, live my life before, mainly for other people. Um, but realizing that that will only lead you to not being able to drain your own sink because making decisions for other people is painful. <laughs> yeah. Were you given any diagnosis before being given the medication? It was sort of hand in hand. I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder and anxiety. And maybe the next appointment, it was medication. And at the time, like, I'm, I'm thinking back to it right now. And my memory is a little blurry, honestly, from all of it. It affects, it affects your memory. Mm -hmm. I've noticed that. Uh, especially in the cutting down process. I don't, I know it's normal, not normal, but it's a symptom. Yeah. So I'm not worried, but I know that it, it's a little frightening to feel. I can't even right now think to the exact moment I said, yes, let's 
go on to this high dosage of medication because I know at the time I had a pretty intense, it never diagnosed, but I want to say a sleeping disorder. It was, like I said, I was at the point of exhaustion and it it affected my decision-making and memory. And I, I had, like I said, I, there were people I could talk to about it. I just felt alone in myself. And when you feel like that, even the people that are there for you, it's hard to reach out to. And I didn't want my parents to think that they did anything wrong. I just want to take a moment in honor and value this process and this honesty and not trying to cling to any blaming, including yourself. It's understanding processes and understanding, you know, the medical system has its way. And at times um, it can be very difficult to make sense of ourselves. And then we give that power over to somebody else thinking that they have our best interest and they do. It's also to not realizing the long-term effects, like you said about medication and then um, what it, what it's causing within yourself. Um, so thank you for sharing that and giving a voice to so many people that are, you know, overwhelmed or trying to make sense of things, giving a diagnosis and then, you know, the next minute being given medication for that without even giving any kind of conversation of, well, can you talk about what this diagnosis is? Can we talk about what's really going on inside me? Uh, can I start to make sense of what these sensations are or um, understand my mental faculties or how I'm, I'm relating to myself? And uh, like you said, it, it's, it's difficult to go back and see when I actually said yes, because it's all foggy as you weren't fully there. Like there was a bit, of, it sounds to me a bit of a disassociation. Happy. And so being able to, you know, is this the right thing? I don't want to feel like this because it feels like shit. So I'm, you know, taking it that I trust you that you will make a decision for me that, you know, will best serve me. And then what I've heard from a lot of people when they go on the medication, it's basically um, it numbs the intense energy that's inside your body. So it allows you to, you know, function yet in that numbing, there's a buildup that goes on because energy doesn't die. It just transforms and builds and it doesn't just and then once it's either going on higher doses or when you start to taper off, if you haven't been able to look at the things that need addressing, like you said, the suppressed or things that you have been repressing, then it becomes really loud inside and trying to make sense of it because then it's like it's bringing up the stuff that was happening before. And it's like, do I really want to feel that stuff? Am I ready for it? What is this stuff? And it's. It's almost like a PTSD, that vicious cycle, because there's a visceral feeling that comes up. And then there's this, this sensation of, am I 
strong enough? Am I courageous enough to navigate through these turbulent waters? Cause they feel like I'm just, um, I'm going from my own personal experience of um, coming off medications, which were painkillers and um, prednisone, nowhere comparing it to antidepressants, because that's a different, I'm just navigating through my own um, personal experience. So I don't want anybody to take this as minimizing or doing a comparison. I can just speak from the rough waters that I had to go through. And, and these medications are chemicals that are being introduced into the body. So the body now reads it as, well, I no longer have to create these chemicals. Yeah. So then when you come off these chemicals, the body's like, what is this? I, we need, where is this thing? Like, and then it starts to have to regenerate and it's a very detoxing of anything you know, stop smoking, stop eating sugar, stop eating flour, um, stop watching TV, put your phone down. Any of those are addictive and the body has been habituated to be able to numb in that way. And then all of a sudden when it has to readapt in a, a different way, that unless you have the intention and the mindset to go into that or life threw you a curveball and you have no other choice, um, it's, it's overwhelming for the system because you're not nobody, not that nobody, if, if there isn't some guidance of letting you know what, like the sensations are going to feel, what your mind's going to try and tell you all the dark thoughts that are going to come up, uh, the defense mechanisms of the nervous system, because it, it actually feels like these sensations feel like a threat of death you know, trying to make sense of it all is very overwhelming. Yet there's also the other conversation of, okay, well, what are these drugs really actually doing for us? Like, are they hand in hand with giving us habits, giving us tools of how to function in life, how to function with our life? Did you receive any of those things? Um, Honestly, I think it pushed me to the point where I realized I had to create them for myself. So maybe in an indirect way, it has helped me create good habits. Yet I remember at the beginning of the process, my doctor mentioning to try other things as well, such as therapy, which I I did. I wasn't able to connect and at some point afford the people that I did connect with. Um, But he also mentioned things like yoga and meditation at the beginning. And and in my head, I was like, I, I can barely brush my teeth, uh, take showers with like, that takes a lot of energy for me to have energy to do these extra things. And I felt like I wasn't good enough because I thought I, should I be able to do these things? Cause I want to, I want to be someone who do, who does yoga and meditation. Um, but just reflecting back on that moment, I recently had a phone converse phone appointment, doctor's appointment recently, because we can't do in person um about about cutting down again and I I mentioned him I was like hey I finally years later 
took you up on that yoga and meditation. <laughs> and it's great. I love it because I, I do have the energy for it now. And um, it does definitely help. I could see why they would be suggesting that. It's just, there was a lot of steps in between. Um, first, working on the simple daily tasks that were difficult to me at the time, creating that onto an autopilot, and then taking that next step forward to using your energy to do fun things. Like, I have always loved to paint, but my inner critic is loud and it's really loud when I do art because every stroke of a paintbrush feels like the wrong place. Mm -hmm. But there's been times when I've connected with myself deeply and I have created pieces that I absolutely love. So I know I have it in me. I know I'm capable. And remembering that you're capable is very important. Mm -hmm. This is a reminder that nowhere in the podcast is medical advice being given. It is personal experiences that are being shared. Inform yourself of the information needed for your personal life. What are other habits that you had to create for yourself and start to navigate with? I think having a response to my inner critic, just mentally being able to separate myself from the thoughts. I actually owe a big part of that to you, Matt. Um, when I took a lot of the meditation classes with you, it really helped me to sit and, and separate distance myself from my thought and see I'm feeling this way I am not that thing um so those that's definitely one of the more inner habits that I've created and external habits when I don't want to do things I should do for example just like simple daily tasks like um, brushing your teeth or um making your bed I look at these tasks and I, I look at them like a tally. Like if I do this today, it's a tally for the version of me that I want to become. If I don't, a tally, I don't physically tally these, <laughs> but if I don't, uh, it's a tally for the, for maybe past version of myself that I'm trying to grow out of. And I, and I don't expect perfection from this because I understand that every day and every moment you what you need can look so different and that's acceptable. So if I need to wake up and not wake make my bed, that is okay today. It it doesn't mean that it's it's a tally for the better for the better version of myself that I'm trying to become. It doesn't change that. I understand that it's acceptable. Mm -hmm. I would also maybe amplify too that you are allowing yourself to supply the need that you need and rather than having to be something, a better version of yourself, of that acceptance of actually seeing life and its challenges and 
how we show up is going to be different on the external, yet internally, the main important thing is not to disconnect from ourselves. And that tallying sometimes can do a doozy to us that we're trying to achieve, we're trying to get in there, um, the things that we think will build on becoming something, where at times we won't realize that it's just a way of disconnecting from self. That, Mm -hmm. you know, at this moment, this is what is needed. I don't have the capacity right now. And that's part of being human. Human's messy. Yeah, it's messy. It's and it's colorful. It's not just this black and white. And I think that's when you um, when people speak about the awakening, it's coming out of this black and white, good and evil, um, older version, better version, you know, all that, that dualistic, that you come into a non dualistic and things start to brighten up in color. And there becomes a little bit more context and then more context and the vision becomes more panoramic, not always just spotlighting things and closing up. And it takes a lot to be able to navigate our emotions and our sensations, especially if we weren't able to do that as a child in an authentic way. Because this, when people are talking about authentic and I'm going to be my authentic self. And I'm like, okay, do you actually know the basis of most of that authentic is actually feeling your emotions in their raw form and being Mm -hmm. able to navigate through that? Can you actually identify what you're actually feeling? Not the mass that you put on for other people or controlling the thermostat of other people's emotional states. So you can Port yourself in one way to appease somebody else and think that that's going to help them with their emotions. And it's like, ah, uh, that's not really authentic. And in a way it's a little manipulative and I am definitely guilty to that. I've realized I've noticed, um, I, I forgot where I read this, but they refer to it as being a shape shifter where it's sort of you change yourself to, like you said, control the thermostat of other people's emotions. And it's to protect yourself because you don't want to deal with what it may look like if you are not what they want. Well, it feels like an actual threat in the nervous system. Right. Because certain emotions we know don't bring out the best in people and it can be very harmful. And a simple thing of harm can feel that all of a sudden they won't talk to you anymore. And that feels like rejection. And that when you want to connect and be in connection with somebody, that is a significant threat. So, of course, you're going to cater to the emotions until you come to discover more of being within yourself and trusting yourself and seeing the relationships for what they are and not what you're trying to um to connect in to feel better about yourself. And, you know, humaning with other humans, we're all trying to figure it out. Like we all do shape shifting and it's the mindfulness of catching it when we do it. Yes. It's being that awareness. That's the warrior work of doing it. And some, when they're like, Oh, we don't do that. And it's like, okay, well then, all right, possibly you don't. Or there's also the possibility that you won't even acknowledge there's an elephant in your room. Mm. And that's the most difficult part of awakening is 
being able to always identify the elephant in the room and be brave enough to call it out, to be transparent with yourself. That's work. Because, you know, our, our, our nervous system, our mental faculties, our defense mechanisms, very intelligent. And rather than berate, it's giving it honor and thanking it. Like what I appreciate what you said in this conversation too, is that the medication was there as a tool. So I have to thank the medication because there's certain things that I had to learn about myself that the medication assisted me through this process. Definitely. Not to berate yourself or condemn yourself for a choice that was made. And that can be um, some of the slippery slope that people get into myself included, I've gotten into that slippery slope of wanting to blame, get angry, trying to beat yourself out of your own story. And it's like, you can't, you're not able to uh, condemning your truth or trying to change it. It's just Mm self-harm. And sort of escaping from yourself. Yeah. Yeah. What does remaining a student for life look like for you? I would say staying open to receiving any moment, person, thing as a teacher instead of confining what, confining your lessons to, for example, school. Um, And it's funny that. Uh, when I, I I do call myself a student for life and I kind of have been uh, to this point uh, in my life, I'm now 24. I'm still in school. I'm finally at the end and I can actually see the uh, finish line. So I'm very proud of that. But I, I see learning and being a student now a lot more in a broad sense outside of school that if you're really open to looking at the world around you, it'll speak to you in ways that help you connect with yourself, with those around you and understanding. I think language is beautiful in a sense that there are so many of them But at the end of the day, we're all saying the same thing, not the same exact same thing, but we can be saying the same thing. And and that gives me hope to know that if you put in effort to understand someone in their language, you can love them. What does self-care look like for you? Initially, I think self-care really is getting in touch with my needs. That one is still pretty new to me. I'm still trying to navigate and and understanding what I need in the moment because I have a hard time with um, distinguishing what what that looks like for me, especially with my emotions, if they get really intense. Um, trying to identify that at the same time while feeling these 
it's a lot. So uh, I think that's one of the biggest things with self-care for me right now is accepting accepting myself as I am. Daily self-care, if I can maybe change the question a little bit. Um, daily self-care for me looks like leaving time for me. If, even if that looks like just 20 minutes of yoga or reading, I've realized that there are 24 hours in the day. And when you say you have no time, it's you're not making the time for yourself. And if I have time to scroll on Instagram for an hour, two hours, I every day, <laughs> I think I can find the time, like even 10 minutes or even just sitting silently. I think it's just making the time for myself, whether that looks like yoga or reading or silence. I think um, those are the most important aspects of self-care for me right now. You mentioned that you started the medication five years ago. So you're between 18, 19, I take it? Yeah. Okay. And you said at that point, it was a very dark time and you didn't feel that you could be vulnerable with those around you. So you didn't know how to ask for help. Right. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Now that you're here in this awareness, what do you think Nate needed to hear back then to be able to see that she could open up to others that were around her? You don't need to protect other people from yourself. Also, just because you are in pain, others might witness it, but it's on them and their responsibility if they take it as their own. So in that sense of taking things personally, I mean, I'm still understanding that to this day is that everyone is living their own story, right? You're a character in someone else's life. You're your own main character in your life. So I think I say that because a big aspect of why I didn't speak out to other people is I was afraid of causing them the pain of hearing that I was feeling this. And, and now I understand that even if I, I were to tell people how I felt and, and they took it for um, their own pain and or blaming themselves because of it, I would have to understand. I understand now looking back that that's on them and that's their own stuff. There's nothing I could have done differently on how I felt and so I think I think that understanding that I don't have to protect other people from myself because I'm not a monster. That's huge. Yeah. 
What would you like to offer anyone that may be in a situation that is contemplating about antidepressants or navigating through depression or dark thoughts? A moment, a moment of silence, like sitting in silence with yourself for a moment could maybe show you what you need. I think the constant pace of society and how fast it's, it pushes you to make decisions and it rushes you to fix the problems and medication can help. But if you're doing it for an instant result, realize that it's it's a journey and sitting with yourself. Um, I mean, in depression, I, I know that's ironic to say because you do sit with yourself a lot, feeling alone, but listening to yourself and what you're saying and what it may look like to to help that um, for contemplating antidepressants. It's ask yourself, what is what is the issue I'm trying to resolve here? What would it look like for these pills to help me in, in moving forward? I guess mainly if I could summarize those questions would be what is the reason? Because if I asked myself back then, I would realize that I'd be doing it for other people. But it really did help me and myself at the end of the day. So I don't regret that choice or put myself down for it. Would definitely look at all the options and I guess being open to giving yourself a chance to be open with others. Is there anything that you would like to offer the listeners? A virtual hug. (laughs) We're kind of in a time where even more uncertain because it feels like we're going back into the beginning of the pandemic, not the beginning in the same sense. However, the whole lockdowns and restrictions happening again. And it, it, it might feel like you're like you want to go back into the same person going into the pandemic, you know, like when the same sort of restrictions are lifting up it feels like you're being pulled back. One thing that I've a habit that I've noticed I picked up during this pandemic is um, after the initial restrictions, when they started being lifted, I started going to the gym. And when I first, when the first, uh, or sorry, when the first lockdown happened, I, I'm going to be honest, I judged people about who were all like, oh, the gyms are closed can't work out because I'd be like, there are so many other ways to work out. You can go outside rollerblade, do at home yoga because I was one of those people. However, until I started going to the gym myself, I never experienced the lockdown yet. So this is the first time a lockdown is happening and I'm, I'm now a gym goer and I'm like, it's going to throw me the F off. Like I, I have a routine. I, my body 
is used to it, it helps my body release the things that it needs to. Having to revert back to at-home workouts and what that looks like, I could see like tells your body to sort of revert back to the same things that you were doing when you were doing the at-home workout. I know that was a little hard to follow. However, I, I just mean that when you're doing certain things, your body reads it and responds to it in the sense that it's what's happened in the past. It remembers the past, like your body in that way. So yeah, just be patient with yourselves in the world and remember who are you today. (laughs) Thank you for being so intimate and open in this conversation and offering yourself and your story to others so that possibly they can catch a glimpse of themselves and feel that they're validated and it's relatable, that there is light within that darkness and being able to swim through the turbulent waters and actually at times just sit in the murkiness so that everything can become clear again. Yet it's a process and everything's a process. There's no right way of getting somewhere. It's what is practical for you. So thank you, Nate, for being such an amazing human being. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Remember to be kind and soft with yourself. Thank you. Thank you for making it all the way to the end. I appreciate you and your time. If you found anything that was relevant or perhaps there's somebody that you think can benefit from this podcast, please share it out. Help grow the community. Help grow Lift Oneself. You can find more information on our website at www.liftoneself.com. Until next time, be sure to be kind and soft with yourself. You matter. <laughs>